Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 70. My name is NBZ and uh, I'm here and waiting with a hay fever in, in my nostrils. Uh, but that's not going to stop me from recording a podcast, I'll tell you what. I'll do my utmost to make sure we always are here every two weeks. And someone else who will make sure that that is the case is my co-host. It's Bally. Hello Bally, how are you doing? Hi, MBZ. I'm I'm feeling a little less hay fevery than you are at this very moment. Um, I guess so, Brussels somehow has less yeah. pollen flowing around the air. I mean, it, it has a lot, but it's just not got quite as much as the UK does today. Yeah, it uh, seems like it's been a bad summer for me in particular, but uh, really feeling in the throes of it right now, which is unfortunate. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's going to stop me uh, from talking about the video games. And that's what we're here to do today. Bally, will you tell us what our show is? What will episode 70 entail? Give us the goss. Episode 70 will entail what we've been playing. We're going to talk about some of your emails. And then for our third segment this time, we are going to... Look forward into the rest of 2016 and have a, a bit of a discussion about what um, Nintendo has to offer in terms of both um, games coming out and hopefully some NX announcements. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's always good after E3 to take a look at uh, you know what actually is coming out. And I think you know it's funny. You look at a company like Sony and their E3, everyone hailed as incredible. And then you're like, well, what's Sony got coming out in the next six months? Uh, Last Guardian? Okay, well, cool. But we'll wait until 2017 and 2018, I guess. Um, but I think Nintendo definitely have uh, some stuff, so so we'll discuss. Before we do that, Bally, we're going to jump into things we've been playing. Uh, I've been all over the shop. I was in London playing stuff and doing loads, and I've played a lot since I've come back. But I know you have also uh, been diving into a couple of indie games uh, going out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was in London briefly as well, not briefly, quite a long time, and then briefly on back-to-back weekends, but I managed to squeeze in some Freedom Planet. So did. this is a game on, uh, it was part of the uh, the Humble Nintendo Humble Bundle again. and this The is Friends of Nintendo Bundle. The Friends of Nintendo Bundle. Um, you've also played this game. I did, uh, and I said I would uh, save to talk about it until you had finished yeah. it. So I played the demo when Nintendo did the interesting sort of Nindies event last year at E3, so it was 2015. Um, yes, that was when... like a free demo download for like yeah. a bunch of titles, and if you download the demo, you get a percentage off the final product, right? Exactly. Um, and so I played the demo then, and I really wasn't that impressed. Like, it was just more... It felt a lot like 2D Sonic. I've never been the biggest fan of 2D Sonic. Like I, I enjoyed it at the time. I enjoyed Sonic Advance. Uh, I'd never really played more, much more 2D Sonic than that. And I didn't feel like this game did anything different. Um, however, when I actually got the game in the Humble Bundle, in the Humble Bundle um, having completed it, this game far surpassed my expectations. Um, it really does make... Sonic look like absolute garbage. In my <laughs> wow. Um, and the three things I think it does far better than Sonic are incredible boss battles, incredible music, and tell you what, it's got a really cool and interesting story that is actually right? told really well. I think, man, like... <sighs> I think that a lot of people, when I heard them talk about this game, were like, well, I just played it on the um, 
there's a second mode because you can it's do like, like a campaign. speed run mode that you can play yeah. without the cutscenes. Right, there's no cutscenes or anything. And I heard like people like Guillaume on RFN saying that he played with that, or he just skipped through cutscenes. I can't remember. Um, mm. But I, I wasn't really expecting much out of that. And you get to them and. I don't think the voice acting is incredible, but I think it works for the aesthetic they're going for. It's super hammed up, it's super cheesy, and it's just so cool. Yeah, totally. It feels like a cartoon, doesn't it? It feels like a Saturday morning cartoon style thing, with maybe a little bit more serious edge to it. It's such a good way of having 2D sprites act in a cutscene um for a 2d platformer like it's so unusual like i can't think of any other games that have such in-depth cutscenes for a 2d platformer right you usually don't expect them to be done in engine you expect like splash screens of like exactly. images or, or stuff like that or maybe but an certainly, animated thing c- certainly not voice acted like they really yeah. overstepped the mark on that in that area and the whole presentation is just so well done absolutely um, animation is superb like it it runs incredibly smoothly it just looks the part in every single way and and i'll be honest like i don't actually think the the main levels themselves are that much more different or more interesting or less interesting than perhaps 2d sonic but like i said the bosses at the end of those levels are just so like interesting and fun to beat and like they're they're so varied and they're actually really really difficult a lot of them so i think we both play this game on easy which basically means your health regenerates very slowly and when i say very slowly i mean very slowly like it takes a full like four or five seconds just to get like half a heart or half a whatever you call it in this game i don't know what they are you just Um, health points health points yeah um Man, those bosses just add so much. And the way that they're just tied into the story and everything that's going on in this game, it's just, it's a its a really, really com- complete package. Totally. I, I do think that um, it can be approached as something that, you know, is, is very friendly to any kind of newcomer, but I imagine going on the harder difficulties will make you, like, want to scream, probably, because oh, definitely. Uh, the amount of damage you take and stuff like that really seems like... It's, it's just operating on all levels, you know? It seems like it's, it's catering to... Uh, fans of Sonic and Genesis platformers. It's, it's catering to kind of newer audiences or younger audiences who want to jump in at an easier level. It just seems like a full-rounded, just well-presented. I think when uh, I, I mentioned this before, you may agree with me now, is I think that Freedom Planet is to Sonic what Shovel Knight is to Mega Man in the modern era, in that it takes those elements that made those old games good but refines them and improves on them and streamlines them to this point where it is a much smoother and nicer experience to play in the modern day. Yeah, it's it's. I completely agree. It is. It has so much going for it, just like Shovel Knight, and it it just does everything that little bit better. Uh, like for example, there's like some of the later levels. That like the 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 main villain in the whole game is like shout. He's like talking to you as you're playing through the stage, and he's just right, like, yeah. and he'll say like, "Oh, you got through that. Try this." And then all of a sudden, there's all these guns just start opening up on during the level that you're running about. And it's just like it's quite cool that the the voices talking to you are actually impacting the gameplay like live in front of you. Like that's quite an unusual thing that obviously tons of games do. But ultimately, games that are, are 2D platformers in the style of Sonic don't really do that kind of thing. And it just feels like they put a real effort to say, you know what, Sonic did this, 
we're going to make it better and do this. And almost every area is better than Sonic, honestly. It's just so, so well implemented. And I, I, it's one of those things where... It's one of those games I just wouldn't have bought normally. I saw the quick look on like Giant Bomb. I'd seen a few reviews, which are, I mean, they are, they are positive reviews, but I always thought to myself, I don't really enjoy 2D Sonic a whole lot. But that's the great thing about these Humble Bundles is it lobs games at you that you wouldn't yes. normally think about. And then you're like, oh my God, I've got this game. Well, I guess I have to play this game. It'd be an absolute waste for me not to play this game. And then you Especially would if you're it. Bally and you have exactly. to get your backlog. Exactly. You have to clear everything. So yeah. the fact that you'd played the MBZ and you said, this is actually a pretty good game. And I was like, yeah, no, I'll play it, I'll play it. So I played it. Really great. And it's just those unexpected experiences that when you, know, you come to the end of the year and you're talking about your favorite games of the year, this is going to do well because it's just so unexpected. And it's quite, a, it's quite a nice feeling when that happens. And you played as Lilac the whole game, right? I did. Um, yeah. I tested all the other characters. In, oh, interesting. I didn't in, do that. Um, in, like, there's a time attack mode. And I just wanted okay, to see cool. what they all felt like just to, to give it a go. And you can't actually change during the story mode. You have to play the entire story mode with each character, which is maybe... Um, not a great thing this game does. I don't know. I'd be interested to see if maybe the story adapts to whether you play as different characters because yeah. it seems like those cutscenes are actually tailored for playing as Lilac. I, I mean, ultimately, Lilac is infinitely better and more fun to play as than the, than the other ones. It's especially like, like her move in the air where she spins in the middle of the air. That like I relied on that for so many boss fights and enemies exactly. like all the time. Like, and I really think that maybe Lilac is sort of the bog standard character, but then for someone who wants to really test their skill and go to the next level, the other characters that's what they're designed for. Like they're designed, yeah, hundred percent. They're designed it's, on purpose to make it more difficult. It's for people who really love and want to replay this game again and again. Um, which was a similar thing with Sonic Advance where you had the four characters and you could go through with all of them. Yeah, and like this game's it's got it's got like time attack modes and it tells you like your your time for when you do story mode. Like it's really designed to be welcoming to speedrunners and that's quite a nice thing to see in games these days. Um so. Yeah, especially right now cuz uh, SGDQ is just SGDQ. happening so DQ, yeah, absolutely. No, I need to catch up on some of that. But yeah, same. No, I haven't watched any of it live. It's a fantastic back. game. Um, great game. Freedom Planet. Would highly Excellent. recommend. Um, second game I've been playing quite a bit of, I'm up to about World 11 or 12, is Box Box Boy. And I know that you've been playing a bit of this as well, MBZ. I have indeed. Um, the um, sequel to one of our favorite games from last year, um, developed by HAL, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, this came out of Japan a couple of months ago. It seems like we always get like maybe a couple month delay between these little indie uh, Japanese games coming out. Um, it's not an indie game, but it feels like one all it the time, like doesn't one. it? Like, it's got the price of one. It's only £4.50 yeah, or so. It's one of those so. things that I think more companies need to do. And I think... Um, who is it? There's uh, Ubisoft who do the like Valiant yeah. Hearts and stuff like that, which are like definitely a smaller team, smaller experience for a lower price. Um, I just I just love when that happens because you know you've got great studios out there, and when they're not pouring all their time and effort into the AAA's, yeah. uh, Nintendo, I think it's good Nintendo, to do that. Try it more. Yeah, do it more. Cause I mean, they, I mean, they did like that game Dylan's Rolling Western. Could you argue right, that's yes. of that ilk? I guess. Yeah, I never absolutely. played that, and it had very mixed reviews, I believe. But um, yeah, it did. It's one of one of those games I'd like to maybe go back they, to at some point. Yeah, but Box um, Box Boy Bali, how has it been treating you? So I kind of stepped back and I thought, right, what did they actually change about this game that makes it different to the first game? And the answer is, you can have two sets of boxes rather than one. 
Yeah. And I thought, right. So basically, it's the equivalent... Because we always say that the step up from Mario, Mario Galaxy 1 to Mario Galaxy 2, like they do far more than just give you more levels. They actually sure. implement different power-ups. The complete world designs in some of those levels are completely different. So I sort of thought, like, oh, so they've just given you Mario Galaxy 2 and given you a double jump. Like, right. I, was, I was kind of concerned. I thought, right, it's really, really simple what they've done. And I don't really see how it's going to change much. But ultimately, rather than rather than doubling the possibilities of what you can do with levels, it multiplies the possibilities of what you can do. Because it really does actually fundamentally change how you play the game quite drastically than what I first imagined. Like, for example, creating a row... I believe this is around World 7. So creating a row of blocks... And then you can use a second row of blocks to propel the first row of blocks into position to hit switches and things. And that's just something you couldn't do at all in the first game. So although all the mechanics are lobbed from the first game to this game, you're playing through them in a completely different way. And it really does feel completely different. I think it's a massive shame they didn't maybe add in 3D. Uh, It's a bit weird that this is an exclusively 3DS game without 3D, but, you know... So be it. Yeah, I just, I remembered as soon as I tried to turn it on, I was like, oh, wait a second, the first Box Boy didn't do this either. It's like, it's not yeah. like it needs it at all, but it's just weird, isn't it, when it happens? It is weird, and like, it's a game that would look quite nice and crisp and clean in 3D, but you know, that that's that's life. It's a, it's a fantastic game regardless. I'm up to about world uh, 12 or so, and I believe it's got the same number of worlds, so sort of 16 to 18 worlds, um, which really, they... they take a really long time uh in the later levels and you know if you're going for all the crowns as well exactly and i will be going for all the crowns absolutely Uh, i don't think i'm going to do the bonus world there's like a separate bonus world challenge world yeah. challenge world yeah i might leave that but just focus on story mode um i've been carrying my 3ds around specifically the last few days to get hint coins because oh really yeah i've just decided i need to be more open to using hint coins because it just speeds it up it makes it a bit more smooth um so yeah last few days i've gone into work brought my 3ds come back with 10 hint coins ready to go i'm stocking them up i've been finishing freedom planet but now i'm gonna get back to box box boy and finish it off that's a smart move actually i i haven't had to use a hint coin yet um but i will say the game don't resist no i won't but the game is i so i'm i just beat world eight and it is way more challenging than the first one it feels like the ramp up starts far faster and it's almost to a level where if you haven't played the original i i say play that first because there are certain kind of really hardcore mechanics and like box boy tips and tricks and hint you know like there are certain things that i do in that game that seem really weird and would be hard to figure out for someone who hadn't played the first game and know like the inside track if you know Mm. what i mean Um, yeah there's some really weird stuff you can do where you're 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 using blocks to push yourself off walls and stuff and off the ground and you can get into really stupid positions that you kind of think oh how on earth does this link to that but then it always works out in the end you're like yeah there's some really weird stuff you can do but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a, a game about um, sitting there for a while and banging your head against it, which I know you love doing. Yeah. Um, but the solutions when you get them are just oh, uniquely satisfying. They just very satisfying. scratch that itch. 
Um, and it's great and, uh, sound design when you complete levels in Plinky oh, Pops yeah. and that. It's, it sounds good. But yeah, that's... It, that's it's a good that, podcast that's... game as well. Uh, oh, so that, perfect that podcast game. Cannot um, be better but, podcast uh, Yeah, I, I will say, uh, you know, we bring up this comparison I do a lot, is the Beetle and Skyward Sword of it being this multi-purpose thing. I think Box Boy mm. is like, is the ultimate in um, the Beetle as an item because the box is used for literally everything you use it to snake through areas you use it to push up things you like hook onto the edge like it is like the most multi-purpose utility tool available and um, i just think that designing levels around this one singular mechanic is just so Hmm. smart and hard to do but they just fucking nail it um and as you said they just all they do with adding extra boxes expand the possibilities uh, so yeah, I'd say it's not impressed me as the first one as much because I know what's yeah. coming. It's the same thing again, yeah. but uh, again, that's not a bad thing. Like it's mm. great to have more of it. So I'm happy. So that's box box boy. I think we're both going to try and finish it for next time. But we'll see. Yeah, MBZ, you have been playing an absolute wealth of games. Let's go. Through. I have. Oh my god. So I uh, I finished Pikmin three, uh, which we talked yes. about last time. I said I'd got like uh, maybe two thirds of the way Just through. Blasted through the end. I did. So yesterday I spent like five hours sat down and from the Man. third boss to the end of the game, just mainlined it, just absolutely went for it. Um, if, I think if I didn't have, you know, more games to play and, and other stuff going on, I would maybe have taken the time to do what you did and get all the fruits and go around and explore. Mm. Would you say that like a lot of those areas have interesting puzzles and things to get the other fruits or, or what would, would you recommend doing it or is it not really? Yeah, I think... <sighs> Yes and no. If you really enjoyed it and you're willing to go get all the fruit, it's very satisfying to go and get. But um, ultimately, you can you can definitely leave it. Um, I definitely at least give the time trial levels like literally one go just to see what they're about. But okay, because I, mean, I, I got seriously addicted to those in co-op. Does this game have some kind friend. of online? I seem to remember. People no, saying... so it's got it's got online leaderboards, but no online. You can't play together online. Right, okay. So it basically gives you a big bar chart and like Mario Kart with time trials and shows you how quick you are compared to the rest of the world. For Man, I hope Pikmin 4 adds in like online co-op because that's like a, a, a split-screen mode, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, now that you've tried it, we should definitely try out some co-op sometime with that game. Sure, Because it totally. is really satisfying um, and I got massively addicted to it with my friend Shaq before. You did, yeah. I remember you talking about that back yeah, then. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, um... but yeah, so I... I will say, I think that maybe the end of Pikmin 3 feels a little bit more familiar than I would like it to, in the sense that you get these new Pikmin, and you get the winged ones and the the blue ones, so you can go different places, but you don't really end up doing that much different. Like, these seem to be more like keys to unlock doors, because it's the same idea of, hey, I need to build this bridge but the thing that's stopping me from getting there is not having the water Pikmin or not having the winged Pikmin. So the solutions seem like they're just the same. I'm just getting new and different things to bypass them. So I think maybe like in the future, I'd be interested if they try to figure out some different mechanics, some new things to throw in there other than, hey, you can go through water now. Like it just seems a little bit superfluous and and not actually expanding that much, but it's fine. Like I I understand, you know, the design and and why they've gone for it. Um, uh, And they totally do make things a bit more interesting. Like, for example, when you have those bridges that can be lifted by the wing Pikmin 
and then you yeah. have uh, water Pikmin going underneath them. I like that kind of convergence where they take mm. two elements and kind of smash them together. I think the winged um, Pikmin are so satisfying to just watch get about their business. They yeah, are, but you also need across. to fucking watch where they go, oh, especially yeah. <laughs> in, uh, I think, Twilight Land or whatever it's called. The uh, because of the one. bees. Yeah, the bees yes. and their fucking webs. So there was um, a fruit that I wanted to take back, and I was like, okay, winged Pikmin, just fucking go. And I didn't realize, but there's a net, like, right next to it. And they all just fucking run into it and die. And, like, 20 wing Pikmin <laughs> just gone like that. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, there are points at which you lose all these Pikmin. And I'm like, should I restart the day? And I ended up not doing it most of the time because yeah, no, it's, it's easy not, enough yeah. to get them back. Like, seems a little bit harsh, but it's like, fuck yeah, it. I don't, it's like guilt. Yeah, you feel like a World War One commander just standing there. Well, I guess they didn't actually feel guilt because they were fucking yeah, assholes. Sending yeah. all the soldiers to the battlefield. Um, yeah. But that's kind of what it's like with the Pikmin. It's like, they're so disposable. I'll just fucking get yeah. more tomorrow, you I'll know? I'll just grow some more. Yeah, it doesn't make a big difference. But um, I think I agree with you mostly when I, I say, like, the bosses are probably the standout element of this game. Um, mm. They are smartly designed, and I really like the idea that you can chip away and damage them and then come back later and go yeah. at them. I never ended up doing that. I was able to kind of contain it and just do it without having to worry um, in a single day. But uh, I think that's a smart design choice. And I was watching a bit of Chuck Conroy play and he was saying that uh, in Pikmin 1 and 2, they don't do that. Apparently, they you have to basically restart if you um, miss them. I mean, a lot of the Pikmin 2 bosses are actually underground and underground has no time limit. Oh, okay. It's weird. It's very. It's like dungeons. It's like layered right. dungeons that you go down floors. Oh, okay. Um, so it just disappears and, and yeah, allows and you as I much as you want. Not all, but some, or mo- maybe most of the Pikmin two bosses are down there. But um, I need to go back and play that game, so I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, it's a bit different. Awesome. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it was a a, a lesson uh, in a new Nintendo franchise, and I think. I have been converted. I think I'm you have, now... You have the bug for a bit of Pikmin 4. Oh, boy, yeah. Go, go on. Pun, pun yourself crazy, Valley. Go for it. Um, I uh, Yeah, I'm definitely going to play Pikmin 4 when it comes out. I'm on board. Um, I'm part of the camp. And get me my flag, get me my T-shirt, sign me up. Um, let's do it. So let's do let's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so the other thing, the big thing, the main thing I've been playing is the Very other big. the other Fire Emblem game. Oh, boy. Uh, of the of the trilogy, the the second one. Uh, so Bali, my thoughts on Birthright are well known. I was very disappointed. Um, I was underwhelmed by many. You aspects. Don't like that change. Nope, I don't like that change. I thought don't it like that was, damn change. It was bad. Um, so I was a l- maybe a little more trepidatious going into Conquest. Uh, I've heard people sing its praises, but as someone who wasn't a fan of Birthright, I've also heard other people sing Birthright's praises. So you know, have to be steady here, going in with with an open mind, and. Conquest, uh, to put it in frank terms, Bali, shits all over Birthright in <laughs> literally every respect. I'm really intru- interested to see how this is the case, bearing in mind they have the same mechanics. Yes. So, so okay. that was your biggest flaw- fault with Birthright was ultimately that the sort of color coding thing with like yeah. different weapons, it didn't make sense to you. I'm interested to see how you think this makes sense. So I think the reason it's making more sense to me is because Conquest has more traditional classes uh, in terms of fire. Okay. So I have a knight who goes into a general. I have 
a cavalier. I had a cavalier in birthright, but you know, I have multiple cavaliers who turn into paladins and great knights. I have mages who turn into sorcerers. Like I have these known classes, these known entities, which I have used for years and therefore instinctively uh, understand how they interact with other mm. uh, units. The problem on the birthright side is you have samurai and ninja and they are yeah. ostensibly the same in many respects, but the disconnect in terms of the naming convention, things like uh, Rinka, who is the axe user, who's like an omni-chieftain or something. I'm like, I don't fucking know what an omni-chieftain is. And to <laughs> add to that, she uses clubs instead of axes. So the whole clubs thing messed up my brain a lot. Like there were a lot of elements in Birthright that made me confused and that didn't it, help. Is it almost like Conquest... Yes, it has this. It has the same mechanics as Birthright, but it's not just lobbing in the extra dose of change with all the different classes, you know. So Birthright is like, right, here's the new mechanics, here's new classes, get used to it. Whereas Conquest is saying, here's some new mechanics, but we'll give you your traditional classes and you can understand it a bit better. Oh, totally. I think Birthright throws you in at the deep end with that stuff. Um, Conquest helps for me having played Birthright already because I have become more accustomed now. I'm not as inflammatory as I was about the weapon triangle as before, right? Like, I'm coming to this game not fresh, and I think that was a smart choice to play Birthright to understand the mechanics, which allows me to come to Conquest and be like, okay, I have a certain level of understanding now that isn't going to piss me off because I've already, you know, been past that point. Um, So that is one factor in it. But it also just, on the level of the characters that you have from the outset, they just feel on an individual level much more capable and useful and powerful than any of the Birthright characters did. Like, Mm. I had that feeling in Birthright maps where I just couldn't kill enemies unless I had people paired up like multiple times. Like, someone pairs up for an extra attack, the enemy still isn't dead, and then another person comes in, they're still not dead. Like, those characters in Birthright feel fucking weak and pathetic, and you have to baby them a ton. Whereas in Conquest... So you can actually one-shot stuff now. Yeah, most of the time. I mean, the thing is, you definitely have to use the system uh, of offense mode and not like pairing people up that definitely is needed to okay. get the bonus hits in but it feels yeah but it feels like it is much more um user friendly that like if i want to take out this enemy maybe on my own i can't do it but if i get that last little extra push i can and that's the difference because in birthright it felt like it was useless because the next turn i'd be able to kill them anyway right yeah whereas here it feels like it actually adds something and is, is valuable and i don't know if that's i i feel like i'm playing better but i think it is also that the characters are just straight up more powerful so i feel more at home with them um and it feels like i'm playing this game much more akin to how i would play a gba fire emblem game where i am i'm not choosing people to pair up and marry like i have just i have made a stance i'm not going to do the children in this run at all i am not going there i am not bothered with it i have one uh, pairing who are at s rank everyone else is all over the place because i just haven't worried about it it's so much more focused on the tactics and thinking about placement of your units is uh, an opponent to or sorry in opposition to your enemies and making sure that you have someone available for the bonus attack means that you can't concentrate on having people always be next to each other all the time 
Um, but so, aren't, you, aren't you, in this essence, getting more of a bonus once they've paired up longer? So when you get that extra attack, it'll do more damage. You the, do, the, yes. the more that they're, you know, they have ranked up more together. Absolutely. Um, and that obviously does much better when you have an S rank as opposed to like a B or something. But the benefit of doing this is that everyone likes everyone. So I'll okay. have like at least a C or B with most characters. With like most. That makes sense. So too, yeah. it does kind of even out in the end. You know, it makes it so that you can do that pretty well. But I think the one thing that stands out most of all from Conquest is the map design and how smart they're done and how challenging and yet fair they they are there was this point in uh, birthright where i lost silas who is the cavalier at the very end of a chapter and that was the breaking point i was like fuck this i'm going casual like i couldn't care less the map was the map was so bland it just had enemies pouring out of shitholes you just kill them and go like nothing interesting to it whatsoever so i flipped the casual switch and just said fuck it because i don't i literally didn't care you get to a chapter in conquest which is infamous by some people chapter 10 and it's really difficult like you are put in a situation where you have to survive for a set number of turns enemies are flooding towards you you have certain things which help you um uh interesting mechanics which i won't mention because you know it's interesting when you get to them uh but i kept failing and i kept failing but the difference was it was always fun to go back and replay that map and that's the problem with birthright is it isn't fun to go back and just kill enemies again this map was all about timing and strategy survival, and placement yeah. and survival and knowing who to put where and risking things and going on a limb and thinking ahead and everything that you want from fire emblem and it's like i didn't turn off animations the whole time like i could have done that to speed things up but i was enjoying the experience of learning the map getting to know it getting better at it and c consistently going and and, and ramming my head up against the wall and when you beat it it is a feeling that is incredibly satisfying and you think man these people really thought about how to you know approach a map design from a smart perspective where you challenge the player but still make it eminently beatable and understandable and all of that stuff and that's just like the thing about old fire emblem games that i like things like chapter five in sacred stones where getting joshua and recruiting him is a challenge because you have to talk to him with a healer who can't defend herself and will be killed by all the enemy units and i remember when i was younger playing sacred stones and hitting chapter five on the head again and again and again until i got it and that leads to me having these kind of nostalgic remembrances for those maps and they just stay in my brain and i can think now and i know the exact layout of chapter five and sacred stones the exact same thing is happening with conquest chapter 10 chapter 12 chapter 17 these are maps in my mind that i've played again and again and i just know them at this like integral level that gives me this feeling of like this is something important and will be remembered in the future when i talk about this game and when i think about birthright I can't fucking remember anything, um, aside from a few maps which are recycled. Now, I did ask people, and I was like, mm -mm, it seems like I'm doing a lot of birthright maps over again. The difference is, obviously, they have varying objectives, and the enemies are all different and all that stuff, uh, but it, it kind of surprised me that there were more birthright maps in here than I maybe would have liked. I, I think, like, they say they're two completely different games, and yes, fundamentally, they kind of are, but there's a lot of crossover going on. 
Um, and you'll certainly recognize, uh, you know, places and locations you've been before in the other game when you get to this. Um, so it's it's something that it, when you get to Conquest Bally, if you get to Conquest. I'm really interested to see how I find Conquest in comparison to Birthright, having listened to what you've said. Because I, I, as far away as it is, I do want to eventually play Conquest, hopefully this year. And it's because ultimately I'm quite enjoying Birthright so far. Obviously, I've, I've not played much of it. I've still got a long way to go. Um, but so far, the, the mechanics, you know, I've said on the show already that I'm broadly enjoying them. Um, so I'm interest, interested to see if I'll find Conquest as satisfying and, and gain as much from it as you have so far. How hard have you found Birthright so far? <sighs> kind of hard in parts, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I found it challenging hard. as well, but... Yeah. Um, I think the challenge in Conquest is a different kind of challenge. Um, it's hard, but it's hard in a way that feels enjoyable. Um, yeah. I think Birthright throws just reinforcements and enemies and things at you constantly, and it tries to derive difficulty from numbers. Whereas Conquest, there really aren't ever that many reinforcements. Like, you kind of start a map and yeah. you have these enemies, but the enemies will have specific elements. So there's one chapter where you're fighting all these, like, fox people, and there are no reinforcements, but you have this group to the north which have the skill Beastsbane, and so if you send a cavalier in there, they will fucking eviscerate them and rip them to pieces. And you have this group in this, the other side which have the ability Pass, which is a thief ability, I think, in Awakening, which basically is super OP. It allows you to pass through enemy units... So you can just like walk through the enemy lines and get to the healers and stuff like that. So like making sure you know which enemies have which skills and managing them accordingly becomes a real intense process. And you just have to like slowly take your time and uh, place units in the smart places and getting people there. And I've really felt I've I've crutched a lot more on using the Dragonstone with uh, Corin, my, like my avatar character, um, because mm. that gives a bunch of defensive boosts and it really helps as like a wall. I think Birthright was missing that kind of element for me where in this game I have a general who I can just stick at a choke point and say run at me and I can like manage from there. And I've got Corrin with the Dragonstone, I've got Effie who's my general. It feels like I have more defensive options here that just make things much more playable and easy to do. Mm. Um, so that's oh. been really good. Um, and again, like just real quick, some of the boss stuff has been real strategizing. There is one boss where you get to the top of this tower and they are surrounded by um, friendly units. And in order to get to them, like I really wanted to take out all these other people first because otherwise they would stack on top of each other and just eviscerate me. So I was using a tactic of you, there's no rescue mechanic in this game, but one of the skills that Silas and uh, another cavalier unit you have is called Shelter. And Shelter is basically rescue where you can put them next to a unit and bring them into you. Uh, essentially Mm. instead of the pair up mechanic of you going into them it's the opposite and so i had to utilize that which i never once used in birthright because it seemed useless i had to use that to basically put someone in range and take them back out again i had to use the rescue one to zap someone back out who was too far in i had to use the enfeeble wand which is this new one they have that lowers enemy stats so you can use it on a boss like take their stats down and then attack them and do a bunch of damage and like throwing in my butler to reduce the stats first and then going in with some it felt like i sat that boss and really thought about how to approach it whereas in birthright it was like okay here comes my avatar with the grim or the the yato or whatever i'm just gonna kill them 
dead yeah. like zero thought whatsoever it's just i am powerful and you are now dead um yeah. so it just it feels like they are making you think and it makes me like so happy it's it's really smartly designed it's just as beautiful as the other game it sounds as good like it has all the amazing elements of birthright but it has none of the bollocks uh and that just but you've got absolutely... you've got a, a, a few more chapters to do yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I've played about the same amount hour-wise because if you look at the clock in-game, it says, like, 19 hours. I've played more like 30 because of resets. Like, that's what happens. It doesn't count yeah. the time that you've actually done that. Um, and I'm at chapter 21 now, I think, or I just beat 21. Mm. Um, and I, I've heard the end game is hard, but I'm really looking forward to it because all these maps just have these interesting gimmicks that really make you think and, you know have to approach them in multiple ways like you go into a map you're not going to be at your first time you just have to learn it first and figure mm. out what it's trying to do with you then you nail it and then you feel good um cool. so cool. yeah fucking i'm loving it i'm so much so much happier so much higher on this new game now and it feels like it's a good model maybe going forward for the franchise in the sense that you have these people who like all this romance and marriage and children option stuff but you also have that crowd who want that core old school experience. And by doing this, they have yeah. basically satiated both groups. That's really good. And that seems smart. It seems like something they should continue to do. Um, but MBZ. Yes. Where is your favorite place to play video games? Um, my favorite place to play video games is uh, on my computer, maybe? And, and, where, and where's that? I don't know. It's in front of me right now. No, but when but when when you're not when you're not outside. Oh, oh, like, oh, right. Like, you like to play video games inside. Inside. Thanks for teeing that up. I was I was like, what? Where are you getting at? What are you trying to say here? Um, yes. Okay. So uh, quickly then, because I, I don't actually want to say much about it because it's one of those games that you shouldn't you just have to. Experience. You should just play. You should just play. Um, so I've been playing inside. Uh, which came out on Steam yesterday, and I played the whole thing yesterday in one sitting. Um, this is a game from the studio Playdead. Uh, they made Limbo back in 2010, I believe. And Limbo was also a game which I sat down and played in one sitting. And uh, that was, you know, this pl puzzle platformer with this very unique aesthetic, um, this kind of black and white thing going on. And the thing with Limbo was it was all about killing you brutally and, like, all these horrible death animations. But it was about figuring things out in a puzzle platforming kind of style of thing. And so Inside is this follow-up. It's taken them six years to make it. But you see that six years in every single frame of this game. It is absolutely beautiful to look at. It is so well-crafted. The animation is just unbelievable. And the way you in interact in the environment is the most seamless and smart and simple. And, like, there are some areas where... I'm interacting with stuff and I'm thinking, how did the designers know that I would think that this is something to interact with? Because everything blends into the environment so well. And yet when there is something that you need to use, it is very apparent and obvious. And, and yet it still fits the aesthetic and it is just kind of mind blowing how smartly designed it is. Um, and it's melancholy it's haunting it has this like somber atmosphere there's not really any music it's just kind of these moody sounds and you just play as this boy you're going through this kind of soviet x uh, soviet-esque should i say kind of complex kind of feels very um you know 
Eastern Bloc, uh, and you are just solving puzzles and figuring things out, and there's this weird undertone, there's some creepy vibes going on, and it's just brilliant, so smart, it has an ending that is fucking blowing your mind, just fucking play it, like, it is one of the best games of the year, it took me three hours, Um, so it is absolutely a thing you can sit there and and do in, in one shot, and I recommend doing that, it, there's something about these games that just hooks me in, that just grabs me and doesn't want to let go. Because um, you're just going forward continuously. You're solving puzzles. I just really like, you know, that that loop of continually, mm. you know, figuring things out and seeing some new stuff. Like, every time a new mechanic is introduced, I'm like, whoa, that's really cool. I didn't were even there, think about that. Were there any parts that just completely stumped you that you just had to stop and look up online? Or, uh, no, and actually, that was the thing. I really thought that... There were a like couple the of times. Swapper, for example. <laughs> no, yeah, no. The, the swapper was way, way more difficult. I yeah. thought like there were moments I would spend like ten minutes on something, but I would think about it and I was like, "Wait, what if I tried this?" There's one in particular I'm thinking of that I'm like, "Oh my!" Like when I figured it out, I was like, "Holy shit! That is the most genius fucking solution in the world!" And it is so subtle and brilliant. And it took me like ages to figure out, but once I got it, I was like, "What?" Like, "Oh my lord!" Like. Words are failing me now because it's so hard to talk about without going to mm. specifics. Yeah, just no, fucking no. like if you have an Xbox One or a PC, don't look anything up. Just play it, please. It is fu- it's one of the best games of the year. It is fucking amazing, Bally. You would absolutely fucking love this game on every level. It is it's incredible. It's a shame it's just on Xbox One and PC, but it I'm, is. I'm, maybe you should just sit me down next time I'm, I'm at yours. Oh and yes. I'll just, I'll just speak oh right man, now. dude, I would love that. I'd love to just watch someone else play this game. We can we can record it. Oh, totally. Have a, yeah. Have a chat. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So yeah, one of my picks for for best games this year. Um, I'm I'm so high on it. I think it's and fucking fantastic. As if, as if you hadn't played enough Fire Emblem. Yeah. As if. What else have you been up to? Well, I've only played the uh, first couple of hours today of it, but Tokyo Mirage Sessions came. That's the reason I busted through Japan Pikmin Three. Anime Japan anime stuff, is here. Colors. Noises. Um, it's really pretty. It's colorful. The aesthetic is super cool. It has kind of this pastel-y feel to it. Like, the shaders they use on the characters feel really soft. Like, it has this kind of glow about it that really is welcoming. It's, like, the complete opposite of Inside, which is this dark, like, creepy, melancholy, haunting thing. And Tokyo Mirasa- Mirage set... I almost said Massage. That's a very different game. <laughs> <laughs> Tokyo Mirage Sessions is uh is like the like night and day compared to what inside is. Um but yeah, it's fun so far. I'm really liking it. Uh, very Japanese. Um the one thing that I thought was cool was the gamepad is basically your phone. So you get like WhatsApp style text messages on them and the writing for it is like so fucking on point. I tweeted like a picture of it and it's just like it's totally what people say in text messages like mm. all these little like throwing in emoticons and things like the localization seems pretty great so I'm happy with that and uh, a little bit of battling seems cool. It's something that you know I've not played a lot of it so I can't really talk about it much. Uh, next time will be the deep dive but uh, yeah that's why I wanted to 
to beat Pikmin 3 so I could get into Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Um, and yeah, well, so that's, did. that's well, it. And the, the last thing I just want to say, today I just beat Mega Man 2 uh, without save states. I just went from start to finish. Uh, it was a weird situation. My sister Drops was using a laptop upstairs <laughs> and I decided I, I'm just going to stand here and play Wii U. So I just started Mega Man 2 up and I just went through and beat it somehow. And I was like, wow. I didn't even realize I wasn't I think, using save states. I think states. That, is, that is up there with your top gaming feats, I must say. That, I don't I know. That, I think it's a hard game. Well, no, I, game. here's the thing. When you know the tricks and tips of Mega Man, it's not actually that difficult. I don't think Mega Man 2 is actually that hard. You're just like one-shotting all the bosses when yeah. knowing what weapon to use on them and all that. Yeah, like, you, like when you do the boss rush mode, you can beat Metal Man in one hit using his own weapon against him, which yeah. is hilarious. Like, there are fun things like that in that game, which is like, yeah, like, once you know how to do stuff in Mega Man 2, it becomes really kind of not that hard. Um, mm. So, yeah, it worked out, and uh, that's the first NES game I've ever beaten without using save states. So, achievement? I, it's still I something I'm yet to do. It is, yeah. <laughs> or Super Nintendo, I think. But yeah. yeah, we'll see. Maybe one day. Who knows? Um, but that is uh, that's going to wrap us up. Whoa, so many video games to talk about. But um, yeah. you know, it's summer. Things are happening. Uh, usually a dead period, but we are playing stuff. So enjoying ourselves as always. Uh, but we are going to take a quick break before we get into some things that you want to talk about, and that'll be in your email. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with a hit of that. to the show everyone it's that time again it's time for the listener emails we have a couple lined up this week but as always we are actually running really low and i say as always but this time we are running really low on some emails and you know so much stuff has happened in the world of nintendo so definitely send in more we always need more um yeah putting out the call and what is that email address, Bali? It would be helpful to send it to. How could I forget? How could I forget? The email address is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That's thisnintendolife at gmail.com. On to our first email, which is from Rickard, who's from Sweden. 
Hi, thanks for a wonderful podcast. I have a question regarding something that I keep hearing everywhere. I've heard both from you guys and other podcasters and game writers in general that the Wii U was a flop. From what I could find, the Wii U has sold some 12 million units, which I don't find that bad. I think Xbox One has sold some 15 million units, but I don't hear any similar discussions regarding that system. I'm really interested to learn why you think the system has been such a failure. Please correct my figures if I'm wrong as I'm writing off the top of my head. Thanks again. Best regards, Ricard from Sweden. Okay, uh, well, interesting uh, thought he has there on comparing the numbers between the systems. I think this email's a little old, so the numbers were a bit different. Bali, you were saying that you checked and the Xbox is around 19 million at this point in time. Yeah, so I don't know whether Ricard's number was old or just wrong but currently at this point in time according to wikipedia and whatever source it's using um it's currently on 19 million the xbox one and i believe the wii u is on around 12 to 13 million so i don't know if the xbox one numbers are actually that accurate because this generation um since they are behind sony they haven't been putting out official numbers themselves so the way that people are kind of finding things out is they are taking numbers from people like ea were saying like this many install base and, and that kind of stuff uh so it's not 100 percent accurate but i think that we can ballpark it to around an area where we think like this is this is probably what they're hitting at this point in the generation now why then then, even though the Wii U is maybe not that many millions behind, do people say the Wii U is the start of failure and, and Microsoft are doing okay? Well, in perspective, the 360 generation, at this same point in time, that system had sold around 10 to 11 million uh, units. Uh, so the Xbox One is actually tracking ahead of what the 360 was at the same point in that generation. The thing is, the PS4 is so astronomically further ahead, and it is just tracking at this ridiculous rate, that when you look in comparison between Sony and Microsoft, it looks like Microsoft are doing really terribly, whereas in fact they're doing fantastically well. They are just half what their competition is, and their competition has just kind of blown them out of the water. And and I think that... That's a really great comparison to make, and ultimately what is happening with Nintendo, and it's not helped by the fact that it's called a Wii U, is that right. we're just comparing it to the last generation, and the Wii obviously set ridiculous records. I can't even remember the, how many millions. I want to say like it's 100 million? It's over 100. Yeah, it's like over 100 million, which is insane for a home console. So ultimately it's just getting compared straight against that and no matter what trajectory you look at or whatever 12 million by this point in time about five years into the life cycle is just terrible in comparison yeah and i think the problem is when you talk about nintendo it's not just that they've only sold this many number of consoles that's one issue but the issue about the wii u being a flop is so much more focused on other surrounding um you know parts of the equation where you have no third party support there are literally no major western publishers who support the system um the indie support is good but it is like pales in comparison to what you have on mm. xbox and playstation like there are fundamental differences like you talk about the software drought that continuously happens because nintendo are the only people supporting their own console the xbox has a very healthy amount of games coming to it not only the third parties but the first parties are putting out some good stuff as well obviously it's not going to be the same amount as nintendo because they're the only ones you know delivering on their one platform but 
Sony and Microsoft have a bunch of different people they can go to and say, you guys make games for our consoles, and they will continue to do so, because despite the public perception that Xbox may not be doing super well, it still brings in big numbers, and it's still able to sell like these big indie games like Inside, which has just come out and is obviously going to do extremely well for them. So I think that the reason people... I think people do say the Xbox is failing, but the comparison to the Wii U is a very hard one to make because there are just so many differences outside of, hey, it's this, it's this number of units that have been sold. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. And I, was, I almost thought this, this, this question was goading us, MBZ, to want to say, yeah, the, the media bias and they're all against Nintendo. But honestly, the Wii U is doing very, very badly. Um, yeah. And we cannot wait for that NX. I would say the media are biased in some senses when they're like, oh, the Wii U has no games. Yes. Like, the Wii U has plenty of absolutely fantastic games. It might not be the, you know, overflowing floodgates of what the other consoles have. But when you look at a publisher and you look at someone, you know, a company that has put out a amount of software on their own what nintendo have done is actually kind of admirable when you it's step like, back it's more than anyone else when you think even last year you think every year the they put out way games. more software exactly. first party than every other publisher combined like they they obviously have to because that's the situation they're in mm. but they have a prolific amount you know coming out so yeah. um yeah there are certainly things that we can say the media are uninformed on but you know we use a bad situation it's dire and xbox is doing bad as well and people do perceive it as doing poorly but it's actually not doing that terribly the the thing with xbox is because of the perception issues of them being behind you now have them trying to you know uh, remedy that and get ahead by having things like scorpio and playing the power game against sony to try and go up and say okay we're kind of breaking away from the generation thing now we're just gonna have these iterations that continue to come and and change the industry and do something different i think they're smart to do it um, because they're not going to catch up to ps4 at this point um but i think that race between microsoft and sony is one that is just gonna be ongoing and continuous and i think that nintendo are just stepping out of it and they've been stepping out of it for a long time they'll continue to do so um and just go after different audiences different markets i don't know um mm. but yes i uh, i think that's probably enough to answer uh what he thought there our next email is from Jason Lee. Um, sorry, who's from West Virginia, USA, I should add. Bally and MBZ. This question is more for MBZ. Over a couple of recent episodes, I've listened to, your, listened to you gush about Stardew Valley. I've never played this game. However, listening to your description, it sounds like a knockoff of Harvest Moon and more recently Story of Seasons. I know you're both familiar with, the Harvest, with Harvest Moon because you've talked about some of the older titles. My question is this, why do you have no interest in the current Harvest Moon Story of Seasons games when Stardew Valley really appeals to you? With the exception of fighting enemies, which I think you said was a minor aspect of the game, almost everything you talked about in Stardew Valley applies to the Story of Seasons as well. I heard you both state that there hasn't been a good Harvest Moon game in years, and I completely disagree. I'm assuming you guys haven't tried a recent one because you haven't talked about one on your show. 
In my opinion, Story of Seasons is right up there with Friends of Mineral Town, generally regarded as the best Harvest Moon game. Over a period of six months, I put 180 hours plus into Story of Seasons, when I was, and when I was finished, there was still more I could have played for. On top of that, it's portable, so curious to hear why there is no interest in it. Keep up the great show. Okay, well, uh, this is interesting. Some accusations made, MBZ. Some accusations <laughs> made, yes, of course, levied, uh, as they are. Um, I think this is more of a broader narrative thing than it is necessarily talking about the quality of where the Harvest Moon games mm. are at this point in time. And we should make clear what you've played and what I've played out of all these totally. games mentioned. So you've played Stardew Valley, absolutely loved it. You've also yes. played in the Harvest Moon series A Wonderful Life on GameCube. I did, yes. And you like that, although not as much as Stardew Valley. Yes. Um, I've not played Stardew Valley yet. I plan to. Um, I've also played Harvest Moon A Wonderful Life, and I've also played an incredible amount of Harvest Moon Friends of Mineral Town and incredibly enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, so here's the thing. I think over the years, the Harvest Moon name has maybe been dragged through the mud somewhat. I think that's a little bit to do with the problems with Natsume and, and the brands being thrown back and forth and all of that confusion with Story of Seasons now being the main thing. That didn't help uh, in, in any regard. Um, but also, like, Bally, you bought the DS version of Harvest Moon. Yeah. I can't remember which game that was, but It was I literally remember... just called Harvest Moon DS. Yeah, and I remember... Time you had uh, problems with it in terms of save stuff which yeah. is just a weird bug thing mm. uh but i don't recall you being that positive about it in terms of gameplay and that kind of thing it seemed like using yeah. a lot of gimmicks and touch screen and not really focusing on the core of the experience i mean ultimately it's it's trying to take the idea of friends of mineral town to a touch screen and mechanically it's okay like it, it's good but it's just nothing like as slick as friends of mineral town um and obviously friends of mineral town jason lee's right is generally regarded as maybe the best harvest moon game um and out of the the two i've played i would agree uh, three i've played um i would agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly uh i i i and i i completely agree i think the whole harvest moon has been on a bit of a decline and Maybe Harvest Moon hardcore fans still like the series and like Story of Seasons, but the media just aren't that hyped about it in the same way they used to be. Like Friends of Mineral Town, to my memory, did really well amongst game critics and stuff like that. And honestly, like no one ever really talks about Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons anymore. It's, no, you it, never hear any word of mouth about any of the Harvest Moon games. There's no buzz about it whatsoever. And that what that leads me to believe is that the games are just kind of adding gimmicks and you know trudging along i don't know if this is true or not but i'm just like extrapolating from where the ds game went it seems like they sort of moved into this direction where they weren't like focused on a very pure very clean experience and got bogged down in some of these like different things that they tried to shoehorn in uh now jason says that apparently story of seasons is kind of a return to that and i am inclined to believe him i think that a lot of people have been positive about it but people haven't been like over-the-top, like, effusive in their praise. Hmm. And I'm sure I would enjoy it if I played it, but there are a couple of reasons why I think Stardew Valley is hit and why it's hit big. Number one is price point. It is very cheap comparative to Story of Seasons. It's probably half the price, if not less. So the entry point is very easy for someone to jump in and say, I want to play a game like this, and it's a very 
a you know small barrier of entry for me to do so mm. second of all it is very focused and simplified and not well, simplified is probably the wrong word i'd say streamlined i, is I the think word. i think almost a big part of the success of stardew valley from everything that you've said mbz um, obviously, it's hit it's hit amongst fans incredibly well. But the thing is, Stardew Valley is reaching out to people who hadn't played any Harvest Moon game before. And although you 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 had played that wonderful life, you hadn't played Friends of Mineral Town. Stardew no. Valley, in my mind, sounds like a modernized Friends of Mineral Town, but improved and yes. an awful lot cheaper. And yes. because as as we've just said, Friends of Mineral Town is such a great game, and I'm really pumped to try out Stardew Valley. I just think it's it's reaching out a modern Friends of Mineral Town to an audience who haven't played Harvest Moon, and ultimately that's just going to really strike a chord because it's such a great game. Yeah, it's it's so it's a combination of it being extremely um, well made and it hitting Steam, which is an audience on PC who are not familiar with this series because most of them are on portables or Nintendo systems. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, it just being so polished and extremely well done and coming out of this, you know, success story of this one guy who made it, who, you know, a labor of love, who knows the Harvest Moon games incredibly well. It's a fantastic story that's really spread online. Right, exactly. And because of that, people have been talking about it it's got buzz everyone has been playing it and therefore it kind of perpetuates throughout the media and throughout people talking about it which makes people care and pay attention so maybe stardew valley is just as good as story of seasons or vice versa the difference is there's word of mouth and buzz and popularity around this one thing and the other thing is just a continuation of this long-running franchise that most people have fallen off of. Mm. And so, despite the fact that I could have gone out and chosen to buy Story of Seasons, Stardew Valley, from all other options, seemed like a much better choice, and I ended up absolutely loving it. Um, and the problem now is, because I've played so many hours of that, I'm less inclined to go after, you know, the Story of Seasons and then yeah. maybe play that. Like, so. I think it's very hard to play a game like Stardew Valley and then go straight to Story of Seasons or Harvest Yeah, absolutely. And... I need a, a good long break. I mean, I, the last one I played was about 10 years ago with the GameCube game. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's I didn't a very even play that much of that one. comparison, isn't it? Like, yeah, it is. Way. It is quite slow. Um, I like that GameCube game, but mm. it's also very... Um, kind of reduced in scope there's not a lot you can do in it it seems like one of the more minimalist yeah, harvest moon games definitely um and uh yeah i think again stardew valley when i talked about it it's it's also a level of customization and shareability the thing with harvest moon games and I, I again i don't know if story of seasons does this but there's a huge level of customization on your farm in stardew valley and you can mm. basically place buildings wherever you want you can have like all these paving stones and all these things to make it look nice and personable and everything and there are whole sites which are de- dedicated to just like taking um an image of your entire farm and like sharing it with people and showing what your thing was and whether you focus on crops and animals or whether you focus on like making diamonds with this you know um gem crafting machine and stuff like that so from that perspective it has the ability to perpetrate through people and get people talking um and yeah unfortunately it's just not happening with story of seasons yeah i mean i'm i'm definitely going to play stardew valley when it comes out later this year on wii u 
Um, and p- I would potentially be interested in the story of seasons. I think I've said that on the show before. Yeah, um, I mean, before Stardew Valley came out, I think your intention was probably to get story of seasons. Yeah, eventually. definitely. But um, then, like, you think about it, and it's way more expensive. It doesn't have as good buzz about it, and Stardew Valley is just there, and it's coming to Wii yeah. U. So that's the thing. It's just the easier choice. It's the choice that makes sense for most people, and that's why everyone's talking about it. And I think I I will play Stardew Valley then if I do play Story of Seasons. I'm going to need a hefty break in between. Uh, but I, it's something I would potentially come back to. But um, Jason Lee, like honestly, from everything I've heard from MBZ and others talk about Stardew Valley, I'd highly recommend you at least give it a go because it's pretty it's pretty hype. It's pretty hype. Um, yeah, I think I think if you're a fan of Ta- Friends of Mineral Town, you would fucking love it. So. But I think that is all we have got time for this time yeah we've been overrunning in our uh, games yeah we're just, about we're just playing too many games MBZ. we need to, we need to just chill out a bit so um, until next time for the email section I'll say the email address one more time that's this nintendo life at gmail.com that's this nintendo life at gmail.com please send them in um, and we will join you very soon in the third segment where we are going to run down the rest of 2016 for nintendo everyone welcome back to the third and final part of this nintendo life for this week um, and we are going to be talking about the rest of nintendo's 2016 some things they haven't coming up in the software department and uh, we're also maybe going to speculate a little bit about how nintendo could talk about nx when they do talk about it maybe workshop a bit of a uh, nx reveal event uh, say what we would like to see uh, and things of that nature so, Bally, uh, I think we're going to jump into it with uh, some video games that are going to be released soon. And uh, we've got a couple of release lists here. This probably isn't a full list of everything that's coming out, but it's kind of the best of our abilities right now. It's It seems hard to figure out what Nintendo are actually releasing over the next Yeah, and one thing that sticks out to me about these lists is how few games on them we really care about yes so uh, i guess we could run through them incredibly fast and maybe 
talk a bit quick, talk a bit more on a couple of the games that we are potentially going to pick up. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, going down the list, we'll start off which one, which is coming out, I think, next week, which is Monster Hunter Generations, um, and this is obviously the continuation of the Monster Hunter series. I think people who like it like it, people who don't don't. And I started to watch a little bit of the Giant Bomb Quick Look of this. I haven't got too deep into it. But um, seems like it's just more Monster Hunter, Bally. Uh, yeah. I think people I mean, said that the, the one to jump into was Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. So probably if I was going to pick one up, I'd still go for 4 Ultimate, especially because it'll probably be cheaper at this point. But Yeah, I think it's something we should probably at least try at some I think it would be really fun for us to both just, you know, maybe pick up a used copy or whatever, yeah. an old copy of an old game, and because it has the multiplayer online stuff, do it yeah, together. That, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, something like that. But there's nothing standing out to me about it that makes me want to pick it up. No, you know, I've listened to 84 Play talk about it. They say there's some cool super moves and shit in it, but it's pretty much it. Um, the next thing, uh, apparently on the same day, Disney Art Academy is coming out, Bally. Man. Um, this is an interesting one because I remember where James Jones talked yes, about it on I RFN mean. about how this is this interesting, you know, first kind of partnership maybe with Disney and Nintendo. And uh, I remember them showing off it being like, you can draw Elsa now, but do you think this is maybe uh, a first step in a blossoming relationship that could uh, occur it, in the future? It, it could be, but ultimately the only sort of properties they're giving over are, are sort of two-dimensional print like pictures it's not like yeah. they're animating a whole story or anything it's very sure. simplistic so it, it is intriguing i've always thought that disney and nintendo they've got something going on they should do something together in the future but uh, especially with disney infinity now kaput uh who knows but yeah it's interesting yeah, no, I, th- I think that, you know, Disney licensing out their properties to different companies to make games mm. from, Nintendo should probably get in line and say, by the way, we could probably do a good game. I mean, how cool would Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games be if they just swapped Sonic for Mickey Mouse? Well, it, it still wouldn't be cool. No, it still, it still wouldn't be a terrible cool, mini terrible, game collection. But, you know, get Mickey Mouse and Smash Brothers. I've always been in favor of that. Oh, man, I really, I think that's actually a good shout as Mickey Mouse and Smash. That would be fucking for crazy. For sure, for sure. Um, so uh, next up is Jotun Valhalla Edition. I think Jotun is a game that came out on Steam last year. Uh, they, this was one of those games they showed off uh, E3 with Jeff Keighley um, when they did this little kind of Nintendo Indies thing there. Um, it looked interesting. I don't know. Not much yeah. to say about it. Um, it yeah, seems like an action game, so that's pretty cool. Um, Futuridium EP Deluxe I don't know what this is uh, seems like a video game you fly throughout a space at breakneck speeds and obliterate huge dreadnoughts apparently Bally is what they say wow. so I imagine that might be something like Nano Assault maybe I don't know it could be a shooty shooty game it's not could it's be. not top of my priorities <laughs> um, and then here's a big one uh, the Metroid Prime Federation Force um, which is coming out apparently on the 2nd of September um, and I believe that this is going to be an interesting one to follow, Bally. It's, yes. We're going to be on the fence until reviews come out, but um, I really have a lot of faith in Next Level. They are a really great development course, studio, yes. and they have made excellent games. And I think this one has been given short shrift, unfortunately, because the way it was revealed and everything surrounding it. But it could still turn out to actually be a good game. So yeah. I'm trepidatious about it. I think we're keen to do potentially a Triforce Heroes on it, where yeah. a big focus they've indicated of the game is, you know, the co op multiplayer and this sort of thing. So 
we're going to wait for those reviews, like you said, see how it pans out, and then potentially we might both bite and then do a good solid playthrough quite quickly. Uh, and like Triforce Heroes was, was a great time. So, and you're right, next level games they make fantastic games. So, I've got a bit of faith. I've got a bit of faith. Yeah. If nothing else, we'll get an entertaining Dragon Bomb Quick Look out of it. So, oh, um, for sure. I'm up for that, <laughs> if nothing else. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, got to gotta watch it. Got to keep it on our eyes. Because that's, it, again, it's like one of the more high-profile ones, funnily enough, this year that's, that's been coming up. So Wasn't mentioned at E3 like you predicted. Yes, no, that was, that was true. Um, but um, it will eventually have some attention placed on it. So the time is coming. Um, the next one is one that I want to play some attention on, which is Dragon Quest Seven: Fragments of the Forgotten Past. Um, I is this have been playing a PlayStation One game. Yes, it was PS One. Um, okay. I I think it came out in the West, but I feel like the translation was either bad or just like not. It was just a game that not many people played. I think on the PS One. You love I think them. You the, love them RPGs. Yeah, so I've been playing a lot recently. A lot of RPGs recently, and the only Dragon Quest game I've played is Nine, which I thought was great. Um, I want to play this. I think that I may just wait for Dragon Quest Eight instead and maybe pick this up later uh, and maybe play it, you know, when it's cheaper. But it's got me interested in seeing as Eight doesn't seem to be having any kind of release date anytime soon. I think that might be a 2017 game. So mm. I'll see how my backlog my backlog is looking around September time, Bally. If there aren't too many big other games coming, then I will probably grab it and... Uh, and play it because it's like apparently 100 hours so mm, it's meat some hell that, meat. that is some meat yes um and i don't think we have any like set in stone release dates for many more of these um but uh, there are some indie games coming out that uh some of which you know were available last summer through the nindies thing uh, and some of which have been recently announced and uh, i know that you are looking forward to playing because i've played uh, them already the mm. big one of course is axiom verge uh, yes. which uh you know seems very much at home on a nintendo platform yeah i'm really keen to pick it up i know you're a big fan uh solid metroidvania but let's do it yeah totally it's uh, it's really cool i think that you are going to have a lot of fun with it. I think you are someone who... I hope who they is... don't overprice it, you know? They always I... do that on Wii U, don't they? It's going to be like <sighs> 12, 15 quid. So, yeah, this will probably be more on the 15 end. Uh, Axiom Verge was pretty expensive when it first came out on Steam, actually. Um, I think it's definitely... It's one of those things where indie games sometimes price themselves maybe a bit too cheap for what they're worth i think axiom verge knows it's good and knows it's worth the money so despite the fact that it's probably going to be a bit more premium than other indie games i would say despite that you should probably still pick it up when it comes yeah, out because no, I, it's, I think, it's and, worth it and i'm going to try and clear much a lot of the backlog before then totally um, and then another one which I've been really interested in picking up on Vita, I just haven't had the chance yet, is Severed, which is Drinkbox Studios' next game. We fucking love Drinkbox Studio, at least I do, from both games that they've released. Um, you've only played Guacamelee, Bali. Yes. Um, but I've also played uh, Mutant Blobs Attack on Vita. And uh, man, they 
fucking amazing studio i love both of those games guacamelee is one of my favorites um and severed has been getting great buzz apparently is fantastic and it's it's a genre i've never played before it's like a first person dungeon crawler but it has these kind of like rhythm based touchscreen uh, attack style stuff and uh you know i listened to um greg and colin on ps i love you talk about it and they were enamored they thought it was fantastic it's a bit like fruit ninja a little bit yeah funnily <laughs> like enough just but a little bit what if you took a shitty mobile game and made it good? That's what ha- happened here, apparently. So I have 100% faith in these guys. And um, Wii U seems like probably the best platform to play it on because you have the stylus. So you're not using your thumb yeah. or finger on a Vita touchscreen, mm. which may be a little bit more awkward and covering up and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, looking out for Severed. We'll see. Um, they are going to also release Runbo uh, on handheld and on console at retail, which is cool. Um, Bali, yeah. you've played some run, but I'm yeah, going to get to it played, at some point. We both own I've it. played a little bit multiplayer, only two player, uh, which I I don't think is the the best use of the multiplayer in that game. I'd be keen to try maybe four, five, or six player because it obviously goes up that high. Yes. Um, and I think we're both going to play through the single player story mode on that game. Yeah, totally. Um, I'll get around to it. Blast through it. So yeah, good humble bundle pick that was. Yeah. Um, so next up, uh, apparently on the 30th of September, the return of the big man himself. Sonic oh, Boom, Fire and Ice Man. God. <laughs> Loving it. Loving a bit of Sonic Boom. He's all, right? he's all, he's all warmed up from the Olympics. And he is. By that time, he's, he's going to want to cool down and, you know, with a bit of the, the ice. The now, do you think Sonic represents the fire or the ice here? Is he the Jon Snow or the Daenerys? That's why I want to know, Bally. Uh, how do you knows? think Sonic? Is, is, is just... Knuckles and who features in this equation, man? I want to know. I just want to play um, more. I just want to play more Freedom Planet, really. Yeah, I can't, really. <laughs> I can't be hooped with Sonic. Oh boy! The funny thing is, apparently, Fire and Ice is being developed by Sanzaru, who are a different developer than did the first one. And Sanzaru actually uh-huh. did a really good uh, Sly Cooper game, Sly Cooper Four, which was uh, very well received by people. I actually played like you know, first five six hours of Sly Cooper Four before my PlayStation Plus uh, ended, and I didn't have access to it anymore. Um, but it was great, and I enjoyed it. So maybe they can actually make a decent Sonic game. I'm not saying it's going to happen, Bali, but there's a chance. Who knows? Who knows with that Who blue dude anymore? And then three of these games, which were all on the uh, Nindy's bundle, uh, Nindy's at home, sorry, demo thing last year. Former Eight, Rive, and Soul Axiom. Bally, I know you enjoyed Rive. I really did enjoy the Rive demo. It was probably my favourite demo actually. Out of, and I managed to play every one, which was good. Uh, yeah. So, no, it's it's kind of slightly metroidvania uh but it's kind of cool it reminds me a lot actually of um affordable space adventures in a way in a sort of single player blasty kind of way but uh, Hmm. yeah we'll see uh there's a lot on my plate i might not pick it up but totally it's it's interesting uh, then Poncho is coming out. I don't know what this is. It's apparently a platformer, so that's cool. Um, Paper Mario Color Splash on the 7th of October. We all know that that's going to be an utter disappointment, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll take it as it comes. See, we've uh, got to play the N64 one at some point. Yes, yeah, certainly. What we're uh, Mario Party Star Rush on oh, the same day. Uh, again, lovely uh, SpaghettiOs uh, artwork on a Photoshop <laughs> background. Shows how much they care about that game. Um, although, yeah, having said that, Give that weird kind of Fire Emblem setup it had was so strange. And I'm again, it's a one that I will enjoy the quick look of and then move on with my life. Um, yep. But the big one, Bali, that America already has, but we don't. Rhythm, Heaven, Mega Mix. 
which in this country is the Rhythm Paradise series. Why do uh, they change is, the name? So well, fucking Pushmo, Paul Blocks, Bally, oh, fucking, God, oh, it God. annoys me as well. Um, but That's everyone's cool. talking a hot game about Rhythm Heaven. Have you watched uh, anything about this game yet? No, I've not. But, you know, so many of the podcasts I listen to, they're obsessed with Rhythm Heaven. And yeah. There's something that I've never tried that I, I know I'll like. I mean, it's very, it's apparently it's very WarriorWare, and I absolutely love WarriorWare. So you do. Give me some Rhythm Heaven. Uh, and then uh, Sun and Moon, Pokemon Sun and Moon, coming out on uh, November the 23rd. Uh, which is, I think, like a week later for Europe than it is in North America. They did this with Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire as well. Um, yeah. No no more of that same-day release they had with X and Y. They're like, X and Y, every day, uh, same day for the whole world. And then, apparently, UK, UK retailers broke embargo because I went out to Asda the day before X and Y came out and bought it. So uh, I think the Nintendo got angry at UK retailers, and therefore, in order to stop this break of embargo, they pushed it back a week for every Pokemon release. They made it digital only. Yeah. So basically, if you want to be angry it's coming out later here, blame Asda for being fucking assholes and putting out early. I wasn't complaining because I got the game early, but, you know, um, it's all their fault. I'm I'm going to pick this up. I'm keen. I, yes. played, I played my, my first gen Pokemon start of the year, so I got to play, you know, seventh gen end of the year. Makes sense. Yeah. And then uh, there's some other things, I think, more kind of America focused coming out. There's Azure Striker Gunvolt 2. I still have to play the first Azure Striker Gunvolt. Mm. Um, Yokai Watch 2, which we only just got the first one here in Europe, and that's coming out in September in North America, the second one already. Um, and then Shimakami Tensei 4 Apocalypse is coming out in September as well for the North Americans. So, uh, yeah, some stuff there that we probably will not see for a while because it needs to be localized and translated and all that nonsense. Um, but uh, it will come. The day will come and we'll see those games. But uh, that's pretty much it, Bali. Uh, a few picks there. I would say I'm most excited for Severed and um, Rhythm Heaven, I would say, are the two that I'm going to pick out there. We mentioned it earlier in the show, but also Stardew Valley is coming to Wii U. Yes, yes, we um, have to say that. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for a bit of Axing Verge. Um, I'm interested to see how Federation Force does. Might pick it totally. up, maybe not. And I'm keen to pick up Pokemon Sun or Moon. Yeah, so um, there's still stuff to play, as they say. Uh, but, of course, Bally, we care about games, but I think the thing we care more about is... You know it. What the hell are Nintendo going to oh, do God. for the Nintendo NX uh, reveal? Um, so I'm maybe cribbing this a little bit from the Easy Allies podcast. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, they decided they were going to do a little bit of a segment where they workshopped around um, an NX launch event. And Carl Bossman, who's in charge, he's the uh, host of that podcast, said, like, you can't shoot down any ideas. If someone says an idea, you have to go along with it. You have to say yes. And they had some pretty absurd things to say. Uh, we may not go that far. We'll just kind of talk maybe a bit of shop about how should Nintendo reveal this? What is your ideal scenario, the perfect situation for them um. to come out and talk about NX? So, Bally, I think the first thing we need to nail down, number one, do they do a digital presentation? Is it a pre-recorded thing where you have, like, all this stuff that is um, set out Yeah, is this ready? what I want or what I think is going to happen? This is what we want. This is what we right. want to happen. So uh. is it going to be a Nintendo Direct? Is it going to be a live stage show? 
uh, how do they announce this thing before it happens? Do they say a week beforehand, we're going to put on a direct? Do they say three days beforehand, this is going to be a show? I imagine if it's going to be a live show, they have to say a bit more in front of time so that yeah. they can get the media all in one place and sit them down and say, come to this event, you can play the games here, you can play the system here, and then report back and tell people about it. I think they might do the stage show and do like a let's invite journalists and let them play on it. And I think they'll, you know, know, the space world theory. I think the space world theory. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna do it. You know, what? The downside of the digital event that they could do is that how do they coordinate getting all those journalists to play it? Do they just do well, that I think separately? That they, and, yeah, I think, I think that usually what happens, I think this happens in the case of some Nintendo Directs, is usually around that time, Nintendo set up events uh, yeah, to I get everyone to go to. Those, because you always you have like, uh, you know, NVC and Game Explain always talk about after a Direct has happened. By the way, we were at an event, we got to play everything. Yeah, so like we'll tell you about it. lifted and they start talking about it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, um, so that's a possibility, but I think think the hard thing with that from nintendo's end is if they do that they have to give press access early and that means more chance of things leaking out early if they do those embargoes yeah no you're right, right. so like let's get them in a, like a sealed container yes get them all to japan let them play it but will it be a japan thing that's what i'm really concerned about is like if they do this live event I think they have to do it in America, especially because most of the games press, the known games press, are located there. And I think if you do it in Japan, you run the risk of not Mm. getting as much exposure to what is ostensibly the biggest audience that you can court, which is the North American market. I don't know. I think think every every games journalist in their right mind on the West Coast of the USA would be would happily go to japan to see they would but again like it it seems like they would not want to make it inconvenient you know no i know what you mean but at the same time them having to get all the systems out to america using people to help move all those systems that in itself is just more chance of leaking almost so yeah the idea that they can just set out their own thing at nintendo hq get all the journalists over uh, keep it all contained and then release the embargo at the same time while the journalists are over there, I think could work out better for them in terms of just controlling the event. Yeah, I mean, we know Nintendo like to control the message. They want to be in charge of it. They don't want anything going awry. Um, so, yeah, so that's the question. Do you think it will happen versus do you want it to happen? I 100% want them to do a live event. I think it would be uh, a great thing to distinguish and um, delineate from what the Nintendo Directs have been. And I think that it's a big deal. And because it's a big deal, they want to do something different and make a show of it. And by having a live event and having Reggie come back on stage and stuff like that, you kind of garner some excitement that may have been lost in the past with yeah. them not doing on-stage E3 events. I, I think that having talked it through with you and the idea of getting the journalists in the right place and when, I, d- I not only want this stage show in Japan, I think it's going to happen, to be honest. I, 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 I like the idea of a digital event just because it's very clean and crisp. Wasn't that what they did with Wii U? I think that Wii U was an on-stage thing, actually. So what was what was the... There was a. I distinctly remember um, Iwata using those white gloves with a Wii, a Wii U box. 
Yeah, I think that was more before the launch, actually. I've that got was like no, you're an right, unboxing. You're right. It was like yeah. an unboxing. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So I, I'm going to side with stage show, you know. I think, I think that it's going to happen. Yeah, I hope so. I, that's, that's my desire. That's what I would prefer to see. Let's um, talk timing. Timing. Timing, the thing that makes sense here is you don't want to be too close to E3 because then people will say, well, why the fuck didn't you do it E3? You don't want to be too close to the end of the year because then you're coming up against all the big games coming out and your attention so being lost. It's got to be before November, you're thinking. It has to be... The best bet, I think, is mid-September. Mm. Um, so Tokyo Game Show happens on the 15th of September. And Ooh. the question is... Do Shall you, I just do it there? Is do you tie it to an event? That's the question, like... Ooh. I actually, I don't think they do. I think Nintendo have been moving away from TGS. They haven't gone in a very long time. Um, it is not a thing that really many people pay attention to Isn't these that days. It's strange that they're a Japanese company and they don't. Yeah, but I don't know. Something TGS. about TGS just, it's been waning in recent years. It's just not been the thing it used to be. Mm. Um, and people don't really talk about it all that much anymore. Um, and I think Nintendo as they've been distancing themselves from E3, I think going back to another event that isn't, like, theirs and their own doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, no. Tokyo Game Show seems like it could happen, but I just don't think it's likely. Why, why, why don't Nintendo put the final nail in the coffin of Tokyo Game Show by doing their reveal at exactly the same time? God, that would be a bold <laughs> fucking move, wouldn't it? That'd be <laughs> mad. Put, put your cards on the table. Yeah. yeah, I don't think uh, they'll do that. I think they'll space it out and make sure it doesn't clash. But I mean, what about just doing it a week after Tokyo Game Show? So while you've got a few Western journalists in town, get them out to Nintendo, or even the week before, uh, yeah. that could work as well. Uh, that maybe would also, get ahead that, of it. That might also sink Tokyo Game Show. Well, uh, the, the other thing about. there is like if they do want to get it open to the public and get people to play NX, doing it the week before TGS and then going to TGS and showing stuff off there probably makes some sense, you know. And then they don't have to worry about embargoes and all that. Totally, and they also don't have to worry about setting up their own place for the public to come and play NX and to see what it's all about. Um, so there is a possibility there. The other possibility, if we're talking about big game shows, is Gamescom. I really don't think that's going to happen. You know, for for us personally, it would be fucking incredible if that happened. It's a bit early, isn't it? We're only it a is. month away. So. Yeah, I think August, like, the end of August versus the beginning of June, like, it is two months ostensibly, but it doesn't seem like it's far enough divorced, you know? Like, June yeah. to August feels like compressed into the the wings of the summer you know and i feel like you have to cross the september threshold before you can say okay we're far enough removed from e3 um and that's that's where it's going to be so yeah so basically i think their cutoff is october they can't be any later than the end of october that seems absurd but they can't be any earlier than september so i'm giving them that two-month window i think it's going to be more likely mid-september Look forward to it. Look forward to it. Like, what if we're all completely wrong and it's just going to be a digital event? Yeah, I look or direct. I, I I'm not going to put my money anywhere. I'm just going to say that I would prefer them to do it live. Um, yeah, but I would not be surprised if they just did a digital thing because um, Nintendo do what they like these days. It's quite frank like. and obvious at this point. So, uh, Bali, then let's talk about maybe some announcements, some some games, some things they say on stage. How do they reveal it? Do they I think, like, obviously, one of the things they have to do is show controller and console together with one another. 
to avoid that confusion with the mass market um, yep. and not have them repeat the mistakes of the past. Don't make um, it white. Don't put we in the title. <laughs> yes. Uh, those would be the two first things. I think that we obviously know Breath of the Wild is going to be launch, we think. Um, I think they need something else big hitting, hard hitting. I'm thinking 3D Mario. I'm thinking that sort of level. Like, I think it needs something like that. So, interestingly enough, Miyamoto gave an interview during E3 where he said that the 3D Mario game that they're working on is a little bit further uh, behind than they probably would like it to be. Uh, And he said that it wouldn't be an NX launch title and that they probably would uh, announce it at E3 next year. So, I think that... That one is one that we'd love to have a bit of info on, but I don't think that's going to be what shown at the like, launch. What was Retro Studios ever working on? Like, yeah, that that's, that's, that's a big forward? one. Uh, whether no. it's Metroid or... We, no, actually, don't we know it's that it's... Don't we know that it's not Metroid? Yeah, I true? think... Like, there have been sources here and there and rumours and stuff, but yeah. I, I think that the running theory is that they're working on a new IP. And I think this is feasible. A couple of reasons. Um, retro have you know had their pedigree they've taken two nintendo franchises and done extremely good things with them um nintendo has also seen very recent success with a new ip in splatoon and i think that giving them some reins and allowing them to do something a bit more western perhaps and buff out nintendo's lineup and make it a little more varied um i think that a new retro ip if it was debuted and announced at this event, would be a very exciting thing, especially if you're holding this event in North America and announcing it to a Western audience because they are the one big Western studio that Nintendo have. Um, and I think that they have a lot of resonance in, you know, places that are not Japan. Mm. There was also um, a story I saw suggesting that Pikmin 4... Uh, was slightly delayed. So whether yeah. Miyamoto was referring to delayed from when it was meant to be potential on Wii U, yeah. just being on NX, which you know that could be positive, or whether it was it's now planned to be on NX and has been delayed further, and it's doing a Pikmin three, which would be horrendous if that is the case. Um, it, that I could see Pikmin four potentially being in the launch lineup. We'll we'll see. Hmm. Interesting. Now, here's another theory I have, Bali. It would back up also the idea that the September unveiling would work. Is Metroid Prime Federation Forces coming out in, in August? And I think that they don't want to talk about anything Metroid until that game is out and done. And when it is out and done and off the coffers, then they can say, all right, strap in, boys. It's time for your real Metroid game. And they blow the doors off. They show a brand new Metroid and uh, I think this is going to be the showpiece. Metroid Prime 3 Corruption was the sh- first Wii game ever showed. Uh, it was a showpiece for that system. I think that got people excited. I think when you're th- thinking about new tech and uh, a new system, one thing that does well is a flashy, graphically impressive video game. And I think Metroid has the potential to do that. And I think mm. it's something that has goodwill written all yes. over it and nx needs to be a goodwill system get get, so, the, get the nintendo hardcore on side straight away just with totally one fell swoop I and the reason agree. this works is after federation forces come out you no longer are throwing it under the bus with a new metroid announcement that's why like they couldn't probably have done it at e3 because they still have to promote this other game that people don't care about mm. and when you have that out the way then you are saying like, okay, what's the next thing? And then people will probably be happy. 
and retract all their anger about the previous game. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. E- exciting I, times. Is there an announcement of a game that you think should happen on stage, aside from this 3D Mario thing? I mean, I, I do like your Metroid theory. Um, what about like something very obvious, you know, the Mario Kart? You know, big, that yes, huge that's seller. very true. Huge yeah, Mario seller. Kart could be an obvious one. Smash, um, smash Kart as smash, smash Kart, Super smash, smash Kart, smash. smash Kart as we've been predicting uh, for the next iteration of Mario Kart. So, do they not? retain the brand though? Do they still call it Mario Kart? Do they call it Super Smash Kart? That seems an interesting I, I angle. Would, I think it would be called Mario Kart. Actually, I think it's too risky to everyone. too recognizable isn't yeah, it too, everyone, everyone knows mario kart like it'd be crazy to call it smash kart i think even though obviously it'll still implement all the non-mario characters but yeah um, i think that's an outside an outside chance it is an outside chance um a couple of quick hits do we think that reggie will pull the controller out of his pocket god because now we're now now we're debating about the size you know but reggie's a big guy he could have really big deep pockets Reggie has big pockets I'll I'll tell you that much he could pull pull out something huge because that is a tradition isn't it like you think back to the Game Boy Micro and him doing that you think back to Iwata and the DS like they have this thing about having stuff in their pockets and pulling it out and like holding it up and showing it to the world yeah I Um, think he will and I think especially if we go along the idea that we have a handheld and a console pulling it out and saying this is you know the handheld or the console version or whatever. And, well, if like and, the, the console comes out of the floor and then Reggie uh, yeah. walks on stage and gets the handheld bit out of his pocket yeah. and starts playing. Yeah, totally. That is that is a thing that could really be a possibility. Um, the other one was the new Zelda game, obviously, Breath of the Wild. Uh, how do we feel that that's going to be talked about? Do you think that there's going to be a side-by-side comparison of the Wii U version? Do you think there's going to be a bullet point no, list of this is what is going to be better in this game or change in this game? Will we get new footage that is the NX version? Will they demo the NX version? How do they handle Zelda at this NX event? I, I think they could say something as simple as, um, oh yeah, the NX version, you get this extra dungeon or something crazy. I mean, I'm not, not, nothing too much to divide fans, but something that makes people side with the NX version to help the launch of that system. So someone like us, yes. who's obviously gonna, who owns Wii U's and we're going to get the NX and say that we say we were of, of of the opinion which we're not necessarily that you know oh, i love my wii u i need to, i want to i want to just sort of ceremonially play you know zelda on the wii u because i've not played a brand new zelda game on it i better get the wii u version i think they're going to do something to sweeten the deal for nx to make you buy that version yeah it it has to happen because um that's a big flagship thing and there's so much buzz around at E3 that they'd be stupid not to talk about it and not to sell it as hey our new system will come with this version and this version is going to be kick ass so you'll want to well, buy the new system they'll, they'll do the kicker for you MBZ it runs at 60 frames per second I hope so I hope <laughs> they say that um, if uh, my big man Masahiro Sakurai was at the head of it he would be doing that remember that Smash Brothers presentation where he kicks off and it's like oh yeah it runs at 1080p 60 and he's like yeah. all the technical specs I'm like yeah. Sakurai I love you you're my favourite <laughs> um, so so that would be great um, yeah. but it's it's going to be yeah, man it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch and um, I am intrigued to say the least like there's 
oh, I, I don't even. There's, there's a buzz. There's a feeling, Bali, that things there are just gonna, it's gonna kick off. It's gonna go down. Um, I'm gonna be here to talk about it's it. It's a long and, summer. It's a long summer. It's gonna. It's a very it's long summer. It's gonna be Gamescom. We've got other stuff coming up. We've got oh, so much. But yeah, it's a busy time. Talking of things we have coming up, we also have an announcement. Do we, Bali? What is this announcement? Remind me. <laughs> Our next backlog club. Episode. That is correct. That is correct. So, um, so yeah, before, before we uh, end the show, we want to quickly mention that we are going to be doing another backlog club. Yay! Uh, if you haven't uh, listened to the show before and you don't know what that is, uh, this is a segment where we kind of choose a game to play uh, as a community together. And uh, once we've all played it, uh, Bali and I have a long, in-depth conversation and encourage you all to send in emails about it and give your thoughts uh, and we'll bring those into our own conversation and discuss the game at length. And the game that we have chosen for our roll, new backlog... Go on, give me one then. I can't drum roll with my mic. You're All right, okay, okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Bali, you get the honours, apparently. Uh, so here comes the drum roll. We are going to be playing Earthbound. Yes, uh, the classic Japanese Super RPG. Nintendo. Uh, yep, and uh, it's a Nintendo franchise that we don't know much about. We've never played any of the Mother series before, um, and I've watched a, a playthrough of Mother 3, so I do have a good idea about what it's uh, what it's all about, but uh, I think first-hand playing will be something valuable, and Bali has never played any of them, doesn't know anything about them, so it's going to be a really interesting trip. I've even avoided a few things online about Earthbound, knowing that we're going to be playing it for this backlog club. So, you know. Yes, same. Uh, there are a couple of videos that came up where I was like, actually, I'm not going to watch that today because yeah. I want to watch uh, play Earthbound instead uh, without knowing anything and being spoiler free. Uh, and I think it's a very narratively kind of driven game, so that is something that is worthwhile uh, pursuing. Um, but because this game is long, because oh it's a, an RPG, it's, it's extra sized, uh, we're going to give ourselves quite a long time to play it, and we're going to give you a long time to play it as well. So we're not saying this is going to be talked about any time in the near future. Probably the earliest will be around September time when we start talking about it. Um, but do get started uh, if you haven't played it before, um, and uh, we encourage you to play along and send in your thoughts about it if you've also already played earthbound and you like the game and you want to talk about it send us an email and tell us about your thoughts and we'll probably bring those in as well into the conversation uh bali where can they send all those thoughts about earthbound please send all your thoughts on earthbound to this nintendo life at gmail.com that is this nintendo life at gmail.com excellent we should also add that Earthbound is available on the Wii U Virtual Console from the Super Nintendo. And also, if you're lucky like me and own a new 3DS, you can also pick it up on the new 3DS. Although I must admit, I bought it on the Wii U. <laughs> yes, you, we, we both went on that sale because the sale was happening and uh, it was a great price. Uh, that factors in maybe somewhat to us playing it, but we, we did decide we are going to play this a long time ago. And the timing has just, the stars have aligned, is what I say, Bali. Stars have aligned. It's, um, it's time to play Earthbound. It is. So get on it. Uh, we'll be looking forward to it. In the meantime, uh, you can follow us and our thoughts on all other video games on the internet. Bally, uh, where can people find you? Please find me on Twitter. I'm at Ballyman91. That's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. That is also my name on the Miiverse. Check me out on there. I What am I posting at the moment? I'm posting a bit of Box Boy. Box Box Boy, I should say. Yes. Getting back into a bit of Fire Emblem Birthright. 
Good stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at LordNBZ. I'm also LordNBZ on the Miiverse. And on my Miiverse, anime is happening. Anime a lot all of, over a the lot shop. of anime is happening. Tokyo Mirage Massage Sessions, as I said, <laughs> is in full flow. <laughs> we don't uh, want to hear about that game. Funnily more accurate than I would like to let on. But oh, yes, boy. Um, anime is happening. Uh, yes, okay. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter where there will be less anime happening. And that podcast account is at TNL Podcast. Uh, we put all our video things on there and all of our articles. We don't write articles. We should do that. Bali, let's write that. articles. Let's write articles. <laughs> let's make website. Um, yeah, so you can follow all the other extracurriculars we do uh, on the podcast Twitter. It's a good hub to gather around. Like like around a fire. At a Bro, iTunes on Mondays, YouTube on Wednesdays. That is true. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher on iTunes. Uh, review us on iTunes as well. Um, haven't had a review in a while, Bally. I'd like to fix that. Uh, yeah. If you're a bold person out there, you like the show, and you'd like to review us, go ahead and do it on iTunes. Um, it's very, very helpful. Probably the most helpful thing you can do to help the show uh, is on iTunes. It really is. Um, before we close, Bally, I just remembered a thing I wanted to talk about at the end oh. of our segment. Okay. Um, the name of the new console... Uh, oh boy. The NX. This is a thing that I have been thinking about a lot. Um, what do they call it? Do they change the name? Do you have a guess? And I want to bring up one of our favorite bands, Alter Bridge, uh, because Alter Bridge, for the longest time for their third album, had codenamed it AB3. And that name had just perpetuated throughout fan circles forever and ever, and people were waiting and longing for it. And by the time the album came out, they're like, you know what? We're not just going to call it that. Everyone knows AB3. We just know what that is. So we're just going to call the album AB3. Does Nintendo pull an AB3 Bally? Is the NX name so widespread at this point that it is worthy of keeping? Do they change it? How do you think that goes? I think it'd be interesting if they sort of kept the name, but you don't say NX, it's called the Nintendo Cross. Okay. Yeah, because obviously we're, we're hyping it up to be, you know, handheld and home console, so... I feel uh, that's maybe a little backwards, though, because consoles, we always, like, try and shorten down to the smallest thing possible, like anagrams. Well, it'll anagrams, just be called but... the Cross. The cross. You'd call it cross. Yeah, the cross. Oh, man. Cross. It's just an angry console. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's going to get too religious. And it well, yeah, ex- yes, true. <laughs> Very bit, true, actually. Maybe not be apl- applicable to a Western audience, but who knows? Name you got, have you got a name lined up, MBZ? No, because naming consoles a fucking hard business. It sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> the um, Nintendo. The Nintendo. Yeah, plain and simple. It could be that. It very well could be. The Nintendo um, One. The one. Oh, fuck off. No. <laughs> get out. Oh, dear. All right. Well, uh, with that, Bally, I think it's time to close things out. I think it is. Uh, say goodbye to everyone and uh, tell them all that we'll see them in a couple of weeks' time with another episode of This Nintendo Life and some more video games and some more things to talk about. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Appreciate you all sticking with us. And uh, we'll be back in the near future. So uh, see you then. Goodbye, everyone.
The musical interludes used on today's show were the main theme from Freedom Planet, copyright Galaxy Trail 2014, and A Dark Fall from Fire Emblem Fates Conquest, copyright Nintendo 2016. Man, I don't fucking know what to say. Why is my brain just... What the fuck is going on? Um, okay. Alright, uh, uh, let's see.